Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Good morning and happy Father's Day. It's good to be with you all. I do want to go ahead and show off my tie right off the bat. This is my awesome dad tie that I got this morning. Um, we want to make sure we kick things off right. So if you are a dad, granddad, great-granddad, um, of course, we want to honor you this morning. So if you're a dad, would you stand up? And we just want to cheer for you real quick. So dads, let me get you to stand up. Good job, dads. Now, it is a true and faithful statement that behind every good man is a better woman. So, if the mother of your kids, dads who just stood up, happens to be sitting next to you, you, you lean over to her right now, and nice and loud, you say, I could not have done it without you, babe. I heard it. It was quiet, but I heard it. Uh, I do not take for granted as we celebrate Father's Day and we look at a passage that does have a, a direct message for dads um, that half of the room is obviously women. And so I just want to make the point at the outset that this scripture, as obviously all of scripture, is very much for everyone uh, in the room um, and not just dads and moms, but to everybody. You do not have to be a parent for this scripture to apply to you. This passage is addressed clearly to the family. But there are two families very much in mind here in the scripture. The first family is obviously that dads and moms and their children, the biological family that God has called us to. But the second family is this, is the church family, is the spiritual, the eternal family, and every single one of us is a part of that. And so this message is for you because God is your father, Jesus is your brother, and we are together as a family. Um, if you don't agree and you don't think that this message will apply to you, well, you're stuck. So you can hang out with us for the next half an hour and hope for something better next week. Um, I do want to take the, a minute, though, to acknowledge something which is even more important, and that is the fact that um, Father's Day holds mixed emotions for a lot of people. Um, for many, there is grief because maybe your dad is not here because your father has, has passed away. Um, and we recognize that fact, and it is a sad thing um, that there are some dads who are not here. Um, maybe it is not because they passed away, but maybe in some sense or another, your relationship to your father, um, he is absent. And certainly there is grief at the absence of a father, and we want to acknowledge that. And at the same time, maybe it's a different form of grief. Maybe you have a deep down desire to be a father, and God, at least at not, at to this point in your life, has not seen fit to bless you in that way. And again, there can be real grief there. And so to all of those things, I would say, again, we are a family here together as the church. Uh, we love you. We want to serve you. We want to stand alongside of you. We pray for you even now if that is one of your particular circumstances. And I would just offer to you to press in even more to your good and loving heavenly father who surpasses the needs that any earthly father could ever provide. He is good, he has a plan, and we can trust him in every season, even the most difficult ones. 
Um, I will tell you too that it is my greatest joy to get to think about, share about, and talk about my family. Um, I love my wife. I love my children. I love this day. It is a sweet day. Why else would I have a tie like this? Um, But I will tell you right up front, um, I fail every day as a husband. I fail every day as a father. It's the truth. And so what I'm offering to you this morning um, is not Ben's top 10 of everything that I do really good and you should try and emulate me. Rather, it is the truth of the infallible, inerrant, good word of our Heavenly Father God. That is what we go to this morning. And so, family of God, I want to offer you from Psalm 127 three applications this morning. And you will see them in your handout in Scripture. Um, As we walk through them, they are this. Don't waste your home. Don't waste your work, and don't waste your family that we get here from Psalm 127. So number one, don't waste your home. Look at the very first verse again of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, a good question to ask ourselves here right off the bat. Who wrote it and why did he write it? Well, we know from this scripture, it tells us right up front beforehand that it's something called a song of ascent, a song of ascent. That literally means that all Jews, not just mommy and daddy Jews, but all Jews would go forward and literally ascend the hill up to the city of Jerusalem to go and worship in the temple the one true God. And they would sing this psalm as they went up to worship. It was written by a guy named Solomon. Ever heard of Solomon? Solomon is the third of only four kings of the entire history of unified Israel. There were other kings that came later after the country began to literally crumble. And in particular, it's worth noting that Solomon was the son of King David, who far and away is remembered as the greatest king in all of Israel's history. Now, this guy Solomon was also important because he was a part of a building project. And so um, as he writes this psalm to us and he talks about the house that the Lord builds, there's really two ways that we can take that word house. Um, They both are important. The first is this, the house is the temple. Because about 900 BC, Solomon, king of Israel, took it upon himself under the Lord's instruction to build the house of the Lord, which was a house of worship. It was the house of God, the temple, and it stood for several hundred years until 587 BC when some bad guys named the Babylonians under the movement of God came through out of judgment of Israel for their constant disobedience of God the Father. Babylon comes through and destroys the city of Jerusalem, destroys the city walls, and destroys in particular the temple, the house of God, the house of the Lord. The second way that we can take this is, though, is the way that maybe would be our immediate reading, and we should take it this way, that the house is the family. Um, the house is the family. You see, the foundation of all of Jewish society, the home, the city, the nation, the foundation was and is the family. You may or may not be aware that that is actually not really true of us as an American society. Yes, there are vestiges of that value, but it is certainly not at all the same. What we live in today is an individualistic society. Um, It is all about me. That is the way that our culture approaches reality. If you do not believe me, just ask yourself this question. Did you choose your spouse? 
If the answer is yes, then you live in an individualistic society. A Jewish society would never have been heard of. There's another way that we can assess what Solomon is saying right off the bat, though, and, and the question that he's asking here that he wants us to beg is, how does a city crumble? Well, we know physically that Babylon ultimately would come through and break the walls and burn down the city, kill most of its population, and tear down the temple. But the spiritual reality that Solomon is getting at is this. Unless the Lord builds the house, it is wasted. Unless the Lord builds it, you waste it. It makes me think of a scripture like Joshua 24, 15. We love this passage. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When I was a kid growing up here at Covenant Church, I remember singing a song often, and maybe you know it too. It's a good song. It begins, the wise man built his house upon the the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. It is an explanation of Matthew chapter 7. And if you remember, we're told that the rains came down. The floods came up, and the house that was built upon the rock did what? It stood firm, right? But then there's a second verse, and it says that there was a foolish man, and he built his house upon the the sand, and the rains came down, and the floods came up, and what happened to that house? It's completely destroyed. Y'all, we live in Florida. We know about sand. We know about rain, floods, right? Another hurricane is right around the corner. So I remember singing that song, and I look at it now, I'm like, how stupid was this guy that's building his house on the sand? But sometimes we need kids' songs that reflect the Scripture to help us understand an incredibly simple but incredibly important reality. Do you remember what the third and final verse in the refrain is? It says, so build your house on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing will come down. That is the reality of what this passage is telling us. You know, our small group um, had the blessing of getting to go through a series this, uh, this past year uh, by a pastor named Paul Tripp. Maybe you've done it. It's called Getting to the Heart of Parenting. And one of the many really good realities that he gave us was that your children, all of our children, are born into a world of authority. Your kids are born into a world of authority, and the even more important was the fact that that authority ultimately does not rest in me as the parent, but every single child is born into a world of authority ultimately under God, that he is the ultimate authority, and we simply are a steward of that authority. And so the message here is clear. Fathers, in particular, raise your kids in such a way that they understand that their only ultimate one true authority is God. Otherwise, it's a waste. It's a waste. Why are there broken families? Why is the divorce rate well beyond 50% in our nation and I'm sure around the world? Why do we see more and more what we are referring to as the fatherless generations? Plural. Why do we see absentee, MIA, out dads because we didn't or we have stopped building on that foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Genesis chapter 11? It's this odd, curious little story. Right at the beginning of the Bible, there's this group of people and they build what is referred to as the Tower of Babel. And basically the idea is that these folks decided that they were so great, they had it so figured out that as a tribute to the fact that they no longer needed God, they were going to build this awesome tower around this awesome city to say, God, 
We've got it from here. We literally have become our own God. And so the scripture literally says that they were going to build a tower to the heavens. I am not a scientist, so I did not know, but I had to find out. Do you know where the earth's atmosphere ends and the heavens begin? It's 62 miles straight up. Um, They've done some research, and basically we're pretty sure that that thing that they would have built, that Tower of Babel, was an ancient ziggurat. There's your vocabulary word for the day. Look it up later. Ziggurat. The average ziggurat was between one and two stories tall. That's your standard Palm Bay ranch-style home, right? It demonstrates the horrific absurdity of declaring that I can do this on my own. I'm going to build a tower to the heavens, and it's going to be eight feet tall. That is what we do. It says, unless the Lord watches over the city, it will fall apart. Why does the city, why does the county, why does the state Why does the nation fail? Why is there injustice and why is there sin in our world? Why is there abortion, sexual abuse, abandonment, violence, racism, generational poverty, greed, theft, laziness? Why are there dirty politicians, corrupt court systems, dishonest businesses, educational systems that teach that there is no God and churches that have rejected the authority of the word of God? Why? Why do celebrities live the American dream and yet even in the past few weeks they commit suicide out of hopelessness? Because we rejected the watchful care of the Lord. Unless the Lord builds it, you waste it. Amen? Number two, don't waste your work. Does God have anything to say about work? Yes, He has a lot, as a matter of fact, to say about work. It begins in the very beginning because, you see, God created the world in six days. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, in fact, it says, Then God finished the work. And on the seventh day, he rested. Flip back a page, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. He tells Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and increase in number and rule over all of my creation. This work. It's the first call to parenting and get a job. And the amazing thing is it happens before the fall. Meaning it happens before sin enters the world. You ever thought about that? That's incredibly important for our understanding of work. Work is not a result of the fall or of sin. In a perfect world, God designed Adam and Eve to work. And it was a good thing. It was a reward and it was a blessing. And it still is. And so we are called to it, and the structure of it is under God's authority for His glory, by His direction. That is what God has to say about work. It's why at the end of verse 2, He says, for example, He gives to His beloved sleep when they work unto Him. Listen to verse 2 here, though, where it begins to unpack a bigger picture of work and how not to waste it. It says this, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That's a pretty important statement there, right? It is in vain. Another question, what else did uh, Solomon, King Solomon, write? A couple things. One in particular resonates here. You remember it? We spent all of last summer going through the book of 
Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. You remember what word comes up over and over and over again? It gets translated a few different ways, but 37 times Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes what? Vanity. Meaningless. Waste. In Psalm 127, he does it three more times when he says, in vain do you do these things, getting up early and staying up late in your work, losing sleep. Guys, we're having our third child, Alana and I, in less than a month. We are super, super excited about that. But I'll tell you one thing that we are not super, super excited about. Sleep is gone. Not going to be no more sleep at least for a little while. You can pray for us about that, that sleep will return. So I read this passage as God saying to moms and dads, to people in general, who get up early and work hard and who stay up late and they work even harder, is he saying to them that what you are doing is a waste, that it is meaningless, that it is in vain? Maybe. I like that. Maybe. What does Jesus have to say? Listen to one verse from Jesus in the book of Matthew. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world through work and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Maybe. What's the idea here? What is Solomon getting at for us? At home or on the job, Your work is wasted if you do it without God. At home or at your job, wherever you may find yourself called, your work is wasted if you do it apart from the Lord. So the question here is obvious. Are you working independent from God to show God what you can do on your own? You don't need his help. You don't need his guidance. You don't need his word. You don't need his power. You don't need his authority. Or are you living your life in utter and complete dependence upon an all-powerful, all-loving, good father. That's why Solomon uses this ugly phrase, anxious toil. You ever been there? I've been there. Anxious toil, meaningless, vanity, a wasted life. Much of what we pour our lives into is ultimately, in the light of eternity, Useless. Useless. It's a bag of shells. So why and for what are you getting up early? What calls you out of bed early? What keeps you up at night? Might be an even better question that this psalm asks us. What are you killing yourself to accomplish? How does your effort towards your career and chasing it compare with your effort in chasing your kids? That's what this scripture is asking. See, here's a cold reality. No profession is exempt from mommies and daddies who spend their lives chasing their career rather than chasing after their kids. Let's take my job. You ever heard the phrase pastor's kid? In my experience, and I could be wrong, but I have never once actually heard the phrase pastor's kid used as a term of endearment. Have you? It's keeping it real day, right? 
it is almost always used as a term of scorn. Why? Because there's a recognition when you say that, you may not want to say it because it hurts to say it, but some guy sacrificed his kids on the altar of his job, even his ministry, and it looked great, and the outward results were great. There is nothing that scares me more. There is no concern that I have deeper than that one in my life as a father, as a husband, as a believer. That's real. You talk about wasted work. How's life end up for King Solomon? I mean, no. Scripture has a lot to say about it. First Kings chapter 11 is basically the final end summary of Solomon's life. It started great and it crashed. Verses 1 through 8 tell us that he literally traded his wife for the idols of sex. And he finished his day with 700 wives and 300 concubines. Well done, good and faithful servant. No! What a disaster! Verses 9 through 13 essentially tell us he traded his sons and daughters for the idols of money and power. He at no point passed on his relationship with God to his family. And the ultimate result of that, the biggest picture of that, is the fact that the entire nation of Israel literally crumbles and falls apart under the leadership of his son because he never taught him who God was. So at home or on the job, your work is wasted if you do it without the Lord. If the maybe is too complicated, if there's too many modifiers there, just think of it this way. God's simple priority list for your life and mine. Number one, God. Number two, your family. Whoever God has called your family to be. Number three, everything else. Including your job including your career, including whatever it is that you chase. God, family, everything else. Now we get to the best part. I love the second half of this passage. Number three, don't waste your family. Listen to verses three through five. It's good stuff. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Scripture says children are a heritage from the Lord. What does he mean here? Well, he tells us in the passage a heritage is a reward. It is a blessing. It is an inheritance. It is a gift in itself. This resonates with me so much because I remember about 10 years ago working in youth ministry here at our church and we were having an event out at the beach and Lisa Honigman was out there uh, volunteering with us and we were having a conversation and I said to her in that conversation, man, I would trade anything to have a family. I'm so thankful that I can stand here with you today and reflect on how good God is and when I think about my kids and my wife, our family, it is a heritage. It's a reward. It's a gift. Solomon got that at this point in his life. He's doing something cool here in the Hebrew too to help us capture the the big picture of what's going on here. The first half of the passage in Hebrew, he's using the word bonim, B-O-N-I-M. It literally just means the builders. And so he's talking all about building and what you should build towards. The second half of the passage here, now he's talking about the banim, B-A-N-I-M. So the bonim and the banim, that's the builders and the sons. 
the builders and the sons, and the reality is whichever side of the passage is all ultimately pointing towards this one awesome reality. And, and for us, the bottom line of this scripture, which is be a parent by God's mighty power. When you build, when you raise your sons, your daughters, build by God's mighty power. Be a parent by God's mighty power. Whatever situation you may find yourself in, be a parent by God's mighty power. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a beautiful explanation of how this works. We know the first verse and a half really, really well. We talk about it all the time. The rest of it sort of falls off, so we're going to make sure we get it back in here today. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, got it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Okay, got it. Fail miserably, but I, I got it. Now look at how it plays out. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. What is a frontlet? That literally is like a scripture bandana. If you're looking for permission to tattoo the word of God on your forehead, there it is, okay? You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You want to leave a legacy, a heritage in parenting. I see two things here, talking and walking. Love it. Scripture's so simple. It's so clear. Talk the talk. Walk the walk. You want to talk, talk about the Word of God. Let the Word of God be on your tongue as a mom, as a dad, over your children, over the people that you lead and that you disciple, that you care for. Pray. Speak to God in front of your children for your children. Pray with your children. Pray in front of your children. Pray over your children when they're not there. Pray. Use your tongue. Talk to God. Do your children, your biological children or the, the spiritual children that God has blessed you with to disciple, do they know your testimony? Meaning, do they know your story about what God has done in your life in the past and where you made mistakes and how God was grace-filled towards you? Do they know your story in the present? Do they know how you see God moving you and calling you in the future? Talk about it. Then there's walking. What are your kids learning about the gospel from your marriage? Or what are your kids learning about the gospel from your life? Do they know you're not perfect? Some of you may say, oh yeah, they know I'm not perfect. Do they know that you know how to apologize? Or better, do they know that you know how to repent? Do they see you repent when you make mistakes? Do you bring that back in front of them and ask for forgiveness? Do you point them to the forgiveness of the Heavenly Father? Um, we are certainly not perfect at it, but we are trying day by day, step by step to do that. One of the, one of the greatest joys that we have had in the last couple months, um, my son Benjamin is four, my daughter Lola is two, and uh, we've started to let them pray during meals so they'll, they'll lead the prayer rather than us. And it's hysterical to, to hear the things that they pray. Um, sometimes it's, it's just this heart-melting moment, and other times you're like, I don't even know why, why we're doing this. This makes no sense, what they just said. But... One of the really cool things that, that Benji in particular has begun to pray more and more 
and it's not just because of prayer. It, we're trying to weave this into everything that happens, including discipline, to be able uh, to hear him pray this, Lord, forgive us when we disobey. I love that. It's the best prayer I have ever heard him pray. And we didn't tell him to pray it, but he's, he's learning to pray that. Lord, forgive us, forgive me when I disobey. I don't think he understands the gospel fully, but that's my desire. And so everything about how I talk and everything about how I walk, I want him, I want her to know the good news of the gospel. It's little baby steps, family meals. You know, I heard a pastor say recently, more than great experiences, what your kids need from you is great relationships. You may or may not have the coin to take them to Disney. You may or may not have the opportunity to give them um, season tickets to whatever sports team, but you can give them great relationships with you around your dinner table, with the people of God here in this church. What they need more than great experiences is great relationships that point them to the ultimate relationship. And let me just say again more clearly, this talking, this walking is not in any way limited by this passage to your biological children. Every single one of us can and should be asking the question, who has God called me to pour my life into? Scripture uses the word discipling or evangelizing, sharing the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus with somebody who doesn't know it yet. Words like mentoring come to mind, just pouring yourself, investing in somebody. They may or may not actually be related to you, but there is an awesome invitation that all of us are called into right here. Do not miss it. The chance to be a spiritual father and mother, even if you are not a biological father and mother. The chance to be a spiritual grandfather or grandmother, meaning you get to lead or disciple someone towards Christ, and then you watch that person go off and do the same thing and lead somebody else to Christ, to a closer relationship with Christ, to be a spiritual grandparent. It's the goal of this church. But let me be clear. In this section of the passage, it says, from the Lord. The heritage is from the Lord. If it's from the Lord, who is it not from? It's not from me. It's not ultimately from me. That's why the scripture says at the beginning, unless the Lord, unless the Lord does it, it is ultimately in vain. What does that mean? Okay, so let me just put it to you this way. God is already aware that you need his help. Are you? Are you aware? Are you willing to embrace and own the fact that you desperately need his help? You cannot do it. You cannot do anything on your own. One of the things that I love most about our church is that we can gather together and embrace and celebrate and praise a God who reaches out to us and does for us what we cannot possibly do ourselves. Amen? We have no hope on our own. We are told that spiritually we are dead on our own and there is nothing that I can do on my own. I am broken and desperately in need of the restoration that only Jesus Christ can bring in my life. Um, Nothing has shown me my selfishness or my idols more than being married and having children. So if you're single, you want to have a family, that's the best I can do. That's the best pitch I have to offer you. Find out what a scoundrel you really are. (laughs) Get married. Have kids. Here's the bad news. Your idols will become their idols. That's scary. 
your idols will become their idols. That's why we've got to keep repenting, turning back to the grace of Jesus. So my question for you is this, will you place your trust and hope and allegiance in God or are you going to keep trying to do it yourself? It begins with salvation. It begins with that moment of recognizing I am hopeless. I am a sinner on my own. I break God's law daily and I will never find myself in heaven one day in a relationship with God unless Jesus does for me what I cannot do myself. Here's the good news. Jesus already did it. Jesus went to the cross died on a cross to pay the punishment for my sins and yours so that you can have a restored relationship with the one true God of the universe. And you know what you have to do to get it? Ask. That's why it's so hard. (laughs) Because you have to admit, I can't. I can't do it myself. But maybe today is the day that you say, I can't do it on my own. Maybe this morning is the morning that you say, I cannot do life on my own anymore. I need Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Here's an encouragement. He cares more about you. He cares more about your kids than you do. You know what the, I believe the, the deepest lie of manhood is? The deepest lie of manhood is this. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. I am a perfect 100. I have never opened an instruction manual of any kind in my life. I don't need that. I can do it myself. No, really, I have never opened an instruction manual in my life. (laughs) That's how we approach everything, though, because, but here's the reality. True manhood is recognizing I can do nothing on my own. I need God, my Heavenly Father, in everything, and the one true instruction manual for life, the Word of God, that is what I need. And so true manhood, I submit myself to my desperate need of God, my Heavenly Father. That's why Jesus says in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's an invitation there, though, isn't there? There's an opportunity. Come with me, God says. Step into my world. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. And in particular, as it relates to parenting and launching people out, it says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are these, these children. What's an arrow for? Well, it's for shooting stuff, right? It's to be sent out. It's to be launched out. It's to hit a target. It's actually literally to, to kill and destroy. That is the purpose of an arrow. So why did, God you, why did God give you these children that you have? To send them out. To tear down the gates of hell. To be a part of the Great Commission. God gives us our kids so that we can prepare them, not for my mission, but for His mission. Reggie Joyner wrote a book a couple years ago called Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. Listen to what he has to say here. I love this. Uh, We're fine if our children never climb a mountain as long as it guarantees they never get hurt. But what if your children were made for the mountains? The ultimate mission of the family is not to protect your children from all harm, but to mobilize them for the mission of God. It is possible to hold on to our kids so tightly that we forget that the ultimate goal of parenting is to let go. That's good stuff. That's powerful. 
I love, we rejoice in the fact that our, our Japan missions team just, uh, just got home a couple days ago, and there were five college uh, young adults who went with one of our pastors, Pastor Ransom, and there are two more young adults who are there right now who are about to finish up six months of serving and sharing the gospel, being on mission, being those arrows that were fired out to a foreign land, Japan, where they don't know the gospel, just like we don't know the gospel here either. I love seeing them sent out. That is part of the reason that we have the family ministries wing of our church, because we want to partner with you uh, as the greater family of God in launching our kids, our next generation out. That's the vision of our church, that the next generation will be launched out on a mission for God. That's why things like Legendary Parent, which is just in the moment, on the spot, practical training as to how can I as a parent launch out point my kids towards Christ. That's why you guys volunteer in the nursery. It's not free babysitting. It's an opportunity where you get to serve my kids, and I appreciate it. And you get to, in some small way, show them the good news of Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than this morning we're sitting at our breakfast table and my four-year-old is telling me about what Miss Betsy Pastor taught him in Covenant Cove last night. And he's telling me the story of Job. He's four years old. He's never even heard the story of Job from me, but he learned it from Miss Betsy. That's powerful. That's what we want to be a part of here. That's why it says, blessed is the man, blessed is the church whose quiver, that thing on your back that holds the arrows. Blessed is the man, blessed is the church whose quiver is full. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. I just want to close with this cool little passage. You ever heard of the book of Nehemiah? Nehemiah is Old Testament. It's a fast forward from where King Solomon is. It's basically the bookend with King Solomon. Um, after him, he builds the temple. We see it destroyed by the Babylonians. After the city is destroyed, one day later, the Israelites finally, those who survive, come home. And they rebuild their homes, and they rebuild the literal wall of Jerusalem, and they rebuild the city of Jerusalem, and they rebuild the temple, the house of worship to the one true God. And more importantly, God has been rebuilding their hearts. And so they finally understand that they must trust in their one true loving, good father, God. And the scripture basically tells us that fathers stood next to their sons as they built the home, as they built the city, as they built their church, the the temple. Listen to the picture of God's call for our families for our church. It's this literal picture of the restoration that the gospel brings in the life of a people. This is Nehemiah chapter 4. Do not be afraid of them, says Nehemiah. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, We all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built Don't waste your home. Don't waste your work. Don't waste your family. Rather, parent spiritually, biologically, all the above, 
by God's mighty power. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for that statement that you are the only perfect, reliable, constant, grace-filled Heavenly Father. And our allegiance, our hope, and our eyes are on you afresh. God, I pray for those who have never experienced a personal relationship with you as Father through Jesus Christ, your Son, and I pray that today might be the day, that this morning might be the morning that they stop trying to do the misery of life on their own and they embrace the joy and the power of knowing you as their personal Lord, Savior, Father. Father, I pray for all those who are biological parents, uh, moms and dads here in this room, grandparents, Lord, that you would bless them and empower them as they seek to raise up arrows that would be fired out on mission for God. Give them grace when they fail. Give them unity in their service as husbands and wives to their children. Father, I pray for the many more who are here that are all of us in some way, Lord, discipling somebody else. And it may be somebody who is a biological member of their family, or it may be simply somebody who's a, a part of the family of the church, Or it might be somebody completely outside of this community who we are trying to point towards Christ so that they could know you for the first time. Father, I pray that you would bless all of those discipleship, mentoring, parental, grandparental relationships. Father, I pray for those who, uh, when they approach Father's Day, there is pain there for one reason or another. Lord, this is a world in which pain exists. And so we recognize that the only hope for healing is in you. And so, Father, I pray for those who hurt even this morning. You know the exact reasons for their hurts. God, would you bring the healing that only you can bring? And, Father, leave us not out of it. Let us be the hands and the feet of Jesus to those uh, among us that we might care for them specifically in regard to this. Father, we pray all these things in the powerful, glorious name of Jesus. Amen.